Today I have with me a good friend, an Austrian painter, musician and composer, and above all, a man who thinks that you can best express yourself while sitting on the toilet. Boris Koller, welcome <laughs> to the Cave of Apelles. So, you're from Vienna, you're a painter. How did you come to uh, educate yourself? What kind of schools did you go to? And um, how did you get to where you are today? Uh, I didn't have uh, this uh, family background uh, uh, that uh, I had a, a family uh, collecting paintings. So there were no, but one painting at home. Uh, and uh, it was a painting of a um, flat landscape, quite boring, uh, in the afternoon light with a small house and mm. it was a painting of the house where my father was born. And I think he was angry that he didn't get the house, so, <laughs> but it's his sister. Yeah. So uh, he wanted uh, to have the, have the painting taken down. So it was wrapped in plastic and uh, it stood behind the mirror. And nobody was allowed to take uh, it and have a look at it. Uh, so it was a forbidden thing. Uh -huh. And this uh, was my first oil painting. So as a little child, you try to get a look at a painting, taking the plastic off. And that is an afternoon landscape. It destroyed my life. This is a no art education ever was able to uh, take me out uh, from this problem I have with an afternoon landscape. This is an amazing metaphor. <laughs> but how did you end up, I mean, coming to Norway, north, northern part of Norway, and painting landscapes here? Why not Austrian landscape? I mean, that's one thing that, that um, struck me uh, seeing your work and you know, get, uh, getting to know you. This uh, extreme emphasis on rhythm and you know, complete rhythm throughout the whole painting, how all the different elements come together in one base, uh, you know, well, one rhythm. Yeah, the, the North Norwegian uh, landscape uh, fits uh, this uh, kind of thinking. When, when I'm coming to the Alps, I do not see any rhythm, mm. uh, and uh, it's really problematic uh, to have a long evening because the sun goes up like in Italy and down. And in the north, I have a whole night with nearly the same uh, um, uh, mood. Right. So uh, it takes time. Uh, for a painting uh, and it takes time to find the right setting and mm. when you are in the same mood it helps a lot mm. and uh, it was not only a geographical thing but I wanted to find the right setting for this kind of mythology I wanted to paint. Yeah because I've seen you I think uh, Works that you did, perhaps when we got to know each other, uh, early early 
2000s. Uh -huh. uh, I mean, you painted from Norse mythology. Yeah. Um, with the uh, with what's the figure Bure, which yeah. the, which uh, the the cow comes the, and licks, and then this figure the grandfather uh, to uh, uh, Odin. Yeah, yeah, he comes out of the ice as she she did licks the ice. Yeah, yeah, and then this is before uh, she she uh, the cow licks uh, the belly. Oh, yeah, okay. In well, my yeah. painting. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's a more personal contact. <laughs> Well, yeah, you need to dramatize it, right? Yeah. I've, I've been thinking about um, how the situation is for figurative painting in different countries, different parts of the world. There is no situation at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. It's, it's, it's over. <laughs> well, you know, in Norway, it's, it's strange because you have you had uh, figurative sculptors that sort of took care of that, the so-called tradition. So that there was some kind of contact with figuration, at least, um, and uh, uh, and uh, you know, abstract painting and these things came a bit later to Norway, and you had these people who stood for so-called traditional values still. So there, there was some possibility uh, to acquire respect as a figurative painter. Uh, but how is that, or was that in Austria, in Vienna? When when you you really started to to exhibit, or I mean, you you had some education first. Uh, the, it um, made it easier these times uh, to uh, have been on on uh, in in a, a formal education, and this is a uh, in Austria state education. We didn't have any private uh, schools uh, for this. So it uh, was the state structure providing uh, academies and I applied for the academy in Vienna after I was studying uh, two years uh, architecture uh, mm. on the university uh, in Wien, mm. Technische Universität, mm. where I had a, a great professor, by the way, uh, um, Rob Krier is the brother of uh, Leon Krier, uh, mm. the architect for Prince Charles. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it, uh, um, there I began with my steps uh, towards uh, uh, anti-cyclic uh, um, thinking. Uh, yeah. So not that you're not uh, bound to a time, but that there are other qualities. On, on this university, you were free to apply. Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, to, to study when you liked mm. to study. Mm. So this was really a problem for the structure. Many people uh, came from the schools, wanted to study architecture and the world doesn't need that many architects. So uh, this professor had a class uh, uh, specializing in uh, throwing people out. <laughs> <laughs> because, they were, because they were given the responsibility of studying themselves? Uh, he uh, tried to introduce uh, quality as oh. a, uh, uh, to, uh, to, to measure uh, 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 the outcome. So uh, not only the quality in uh, drawing or your own ideas, but uh, the quality of what you found first. So he uh, was sending uh, the students out uh, to draw uh, certain themes, uh, um, building standing alone, 
a window, a door. So um, it was really difficult for many people, uh, for many uh, fellow students uh, from these schools uh, to uh, be uh, confronted with uh, such a system. And after that you went to the academy. And there uh, were figurative professors there. There were three classes, yeah. three master classes for figurative painting. Yeah. And they were not, were not only called figurative painting like today, but uh, there the were people painting figurative. Right. And the professors too. So They actually knew how to paint figuratively. No. <laughs> Do you really expect uh, that the professor uh, is qualified? And uh, figurative is a wide field. Mm. I was very happy with uh, my professor uh, because I really like him as a person. So this was great, but you don't have uh, contact to uh, your professors. Uh, all the time in, in such an academy. Mm. So you uh, have more contact uh, with uh, others who teach and uh, mostly with uh, the fellow students. And I took uh, very early the part of going around and criticizing the others, <laughs> which I did on a regular basis uh, every morning. You would go to their studios and talk so about I was the first. I was the first in the studio, uh, and when the others came in, I visited uh, them and tried uh, to talk with them. And these were figurative painters. Yeah. Mm. So these were great times. And how? <laughs> how was the reaction to them? They got used to it. <laughs> <laughs> now because this, <coughs> this is interesting because. I remember talking to a, 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 a Venetian painter. Yeah. We were visiting a colleague of his, and I was talking about uh, he was painting something from uh, Venice, and I was saying, "Oh, this is good. That what this this could improve." And they were talking in Italian, and he laid it out as something special about the Nerdum School that you would criticize each other and actually talk, give you know constructive criticism to how a painting could be improved. And that it would be normal for people to be insulted by it. it it's all no. about that. Generally. Yeah. Right. But it was but, not like that when uh, Rudolf Hausner uh, had his uh, class. That was your teacher. Uh, no, uh, this was before my times. Then he ha had uh, this uh, kind of uh, common education. So uh, uh, they gathered together uh, every week uh, and the students discussed uh, openly uh, the works. Uh, we had uh, not this structure under my professor, Arik Brauer, who uh, uh, overtook uh, the class after uh, Rudolf Hausner. Uh, it uh, was more friendly between us, so we were not forced to criticize each other. But I did it anyway. Mm. And was how, how was, um, I mean, were you treated with respect as a figurative student there? Or was, uh, was that I like among the students? I uh, tried to adapt to a certain grade uh, by uh, painting a little bit surrealistic. 
uh, but they very early forced me into landscape painting and these were the times where it was possible to sell landscape paintings. Mm -hmm. But at some point, I remember you telling me this changed. Uh, I mean, I don't think there is a line for figurative painting now at the academy. <laughs> yeah, they're calling it uh, a class for figurative painting. Uh, a professor, a female professor from uh, Finland uh, took over. She's painting abstract paintings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they are calling it uh, figurative. Yeah. Right, right. So it's because a white... It's a wild field. Yeah. You see, figurative uh, painting uh, took uh, over uh, a certain part of the art world because uh, they understood in the art world that no one wants to buy only concepts. So uh, there are uh, customers who want to buy something to hang on the wall. Mm. Uh, but what is figurative? It can be anything. Uh, even abstract paintings, when you talk uh, with customers about uh, people buying uh, uh, abstract paintings, what they saw, they saw something figurative in it. Mm. Uh, when you're talking about making it more arty, uh, my experience is that you have uh, a lot of painters who do that be uh, because they understand uh, what is respected and what is uh, more or less hated. And any kind of sentimentality, any kind of melodrama is what you should not be doing. So it seems like what you're describing uh, as acceptable figurative art was precisely that, figurative art. I mean, art in a way, but it was uh, amateurish. Uh, so, uh, Amateur. uh, so it was uh, not uh, developed. This was a problem for uh, several colleagues uh, who didn't get it and they didn't want to get it. Mm. Uh, so I was uh, really against uh, everything which I saw as art. And I saw the uh, holding from, from the uh, outside, from the other uh, students, from the other classes and the structure. Uh, they were working against us more and more mm -hmm. until the rector of the, uh, this academy in the middle of the 19th uh, uh, held a speech where he promised uh, to force everything which looks like, a, he called it Tafelbild, so uh, painting on a canvas or a board mm. uh, is to be looked at as an anachronism and has to be uh, has no place in the academy and has to be forced out. Mm. Right. And this what this was an open speech. Really. Yeah. That was in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because this it seems to be be uh, changing a bit at exactly that time. And I was wondering, uh, to change the subject slightly, uh, at some point uh, you, uh, you discovered the concept of kitsch that Odnodrum comes, uh, brings into the discussion. We uh, were uh, um, laughing about it, calling each other for a kitsch painter. Uh -huh. So uh, we knew that it could be kitsch. Uh, but w what we understood uh, was that it was not art 
we were doing. So we you tried uh, uh, to avoid the, the uh, term art. You were conscious about that during your years at the, at the academy. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So we called it more and more painting, not mm. art. Mm. Mm -hmm. But how uh, I'm, I'm interested in the, also the, the uh, political reception of uh, figurative uh, painting. Because, I mean, obviously, one of your most famous politicians, uh, German politicians, was Austrian. I'm thinking about Adolf Hitler. And uh. I know that uh, uh, generally when this uh, figurative painting is described, there have been several instances of uh, painters being attacked and called Nazi, that they make Nazi art because it's figurative and, uh, and uh, Hitler liked that. And um, uh, when it's uh, easy to understand or if it's somehow sentimental or if it somehow is uh, based on a form that was used earlier, then we, you're into uh, that landscape. We understood that uh, people were talking uh, behind our backs. We heard a lot uh, about uh, several uh, elder uh, colleagues uh, who had certain positions in the structure in the Kunsthaus that they were uh, calling our exhibitions for uh, a Nazi exhibition. With what uh, kind of uh, arguments? What, how did they no, prove that? They, that With our, you, know. you have to understand. Uh, when you to be a national socialist uh, it's forbidden in austria and germany in these times uh, there were uh, a law uh, there was a law uh, that you could be sentenced for minimum for five years to eight years for to, uh, being a national socialist uh, so it was a serious attack when someone uh, uh, was calling an, another uh, for a national socialist. Yeah, it wasn't just they, some fun so no, uh, no, game. It's, 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 it's a really serious thing. But we saw in the middle uh, of the 90s uh, that the, uh, we had no galleries, no possibilities to sell. And uh, the, then I came into the picture and tried to... Uh, collect people uh, for collective uh, exhibitions, which we uh, organized for ourselves with the help uh, later on uh, of uh, organizer. And uh, they were quite big exhibitions uh, as an impact. So the first one was one for only one evening in the Vienna International Center, uh, the building of the uh, UNO, uh, UN, uh, uh, yeah. uh, United, United Nations. Nations. Uh, then uh, we got in contact with uh, the director of the Natural History Museum in Vienna, and it's not a normal hist uh, natural history museum. It was uh, chosen as one of the Ten best museums in the world, so it's a great building. Uh, and uh, he uh, openly, uh, the director openly loves uh, figurative painting, and we organized uh, exhibitions about national parks, with the idea uh, that the uh, painters uh, of the 18th century uh, in 
the US uh, with a German and Scandinavian background, mm -hmm. uh, they went out and saw that there is beautiful landscape out there and uh, uh, this landscape is in danger already in the 1800s. So they went out uh, making paintings, showing it in, uh, I think, Congress to uh, convince uh, the, uh, the politicians, the politicians uh, to protect uh, uh, several of these uh, regions. Right. So uh, it was uh, the painters who were, were the ones who uh, got into the initiative to uh, protect nature. And uh, he had the thought that it's now uh, uh, nature protecting us. <laughs> so the national parks. It's payback time. <laughs> are protecting us. We are painting the national parks, yeah. uh, which uh, were installed uh, after the uh, American model. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we are free to paint nature. Yeah, because th this is really quite... Uh, surprising because you know I meet painters from all over the world and uh, there's a general uh, story that I always hear and it's about how they go to school they don't learn anything at best and they're uh, often we, we often drilled a little bit yeah yeah yeah, yeah but, but that's why it's so amazing and then, and, and then they are you know well at best they don't learn anything and then generally they, they are, are mistreated but you're describing a situation where there actually was some possibility I mean exhibiting at the National History Museum a big museum in the middle of Vienna yeah so we had our uh, um, not only exhibitions, it began uh, that we went out together uh, exploring uh, these national parks. Mm. We got to know each other a little bit more. I wanted to organize it over the borders of the master classes, also mm. from uh, another uh, kind of academy uh, in Vienna. So I really wanted to collect uh, figurative painters and want, uh, wanted to uh, that they feel uh, themselves better mm. than before by getting this these possibilities. Yeah, because you, you did have, I remember you uh, telling me about that, one giant exhibition in smack in the middle of Vienna. Well, it wasn't at the Natural History Museum, <laughs> but it was... was this a was place. another thing. Yeah. Uh, these were our normal paintings and I did not organize mm. this exhibition. Uh, but um, another colleague uh, took uh, over the work. I worked uh, for my colleagues for free for uh, over two years. And it was not uh, possible for me to continue. Mm -hmm. So uh, she organized it with the organizer of uh, another show uh, before. And um, how was uh, this received? We got sponsors, uh, big sponsors. Uh, they were exhibiting uh, uh, screens, mm. uh, television screens, uh, showing our paintings beside of our paintings. So uh, they paid uh, for a fantastic location uh, in uh, 
crypts uh, in the center of uh, Vienna and uh, there were in this show about 250 paintings mm. uh, about 50 colleagues not only from Vienna uh, but also from Berlin and uh, the organizer managed uh, to get uh, 4,000 people to the opening really really uh, uh, good people uh, so uh, we didn't expect this so uh, there was only space for uh, 2,000 people at once uh, at one time so the other 2,000 had to wait before the door <laughs> in front of That's the door uh, coming in so uh, it was a wonderful show uh, people loved it uh, and uh, we had uh, one uh, a part of a small television show uh, uh, in the evening on the state television, uh, but it's uh, it was a society show because there was so many uh, people from higher society from the Anada, uh, so it was not about the paintings, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, there were several critics uh, there. Uh, also the main critic of the uh, largest newspaper in Austria which is per capita uh, the largest newspaper in the world so a really uh, big newspaper and uh, we did not get one article at all uh, and the funny thing is the organizer uh, was uh, at the place several uh, days later and saw this main critic uh, being in the show yeah. as a private person. And uh, she went to him and asked him uh, why, why there were no articles about our show. And he tried to find an answer and he answered uh, the usual way that it was not high enough quality. Oh. But when he was in the exhibition and decided to come back <laughs> voluntarily yeah. so and then it beca began to be a problem for our sponsors because they had to prove what they did with the money yeah so they uh, expected to get articles right and so they were uh, really moving on and contacting all newspapers again mm. forcing them to write and they got a very small uh, some some lines that were mentioned in the weekly uh, uh, newspaper uh, and uh, it was written like um, the firm I don't uh, mention them uh, I don't say the name is sponsoring the Vienna Art Center. Uh -huh. that was so this was the solution <laughs> uh, so that uh, everyone uh, is uh, uh, happy, happy. Yeah, content. Yeah. <laughs> so they got the article uh, for Texas mm. 
and uh, they uh, in the newspaper were not forced to write about the exhibition. I think people have a problem looking at paintings uh, because they uh, examine uh, paintings uh, looking for uh, art. So uh, I, <laughs> there's a funny story, uh, a little gallerist uh, in Germany, also female by the way, uh, she uh, uh, saw uh, one of my landscape paintings with, with a woman standing in the water uh, with a hand down to the water. and. Uh, she came to me smiling that uh, she wanted to tell me that uh, she now understood my painting. Really? Yeah, because there was foam on the water. So it's about uh, environment, environmental pollution. <laughs> okay, okay. So right. this is the artist yeah. stuff here. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. now she sees art in my painting, yeah. Uh, but not before. <laughs> she, did, she didn't see the rest mm. of the painting. Right. She didn't see the clouds, she didn't mm. see the light, the water, mm. uh, the woman standing, the thinking uh, about uh, the reflection, the contact to the reflection, she, uh, the trees. She didn't see anything, the stones. Mm. She saw. Foam. Right. This was art. Not good art, but art enough for her. She could see a political message uh, yeah. in there. Yeah, right, right, right. So, because, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I think you're onto something that we're talking about that they do not really see what is in the actual painting. And they're not very skilled critics or art historians in comparing, as you were talking about earlier comparing, seeing similarities or differences between different types of, of uh, painting. Because one thing that strikes me um, when you talk about, uh, when we talk about this comparing uh, uh, classical figurative painting and uh, so-called Nazi art, is that generally when you see, look at the painters or sculptors that were, were, were uh, really favored in Nazi Germany, they are completely devoid of any passion or any sentimentality. Yeah, you could uh, freely uh, compare it with uh, figurative uh, art today, which uh, yeah, uh, which is uh, as flat as you mentioned it. Right. Yeah, because that strikes me as um, when you look at at um, these things you have uh, within paintings and names like uh, Sepilz or, or Ziegler or so, uh, this, uh, oh, that, yeah. that were favored uh, during the during the I, uh, Ziegler tried uh, to yeah. uh, get a certain position. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but it's so absurd because they talk about this as, you know, typically typical of how they would use uh, emotions and sentimentality to grip the viewer and then trick them into not being critical of the political message. But when you look at what they're actually, what they actually painted and what was sculpted, then it's completely devoid of any expression whatsoever. So when they, for example, call these things kitsch, uh -huh. 
and then make the connection that Hitler liked kitsch uh, and 3D painting uh, is kitsch. You know, you know uh, after all these accusations, I uh, deeply uh, went into uh, uh, national socialistic thinking because I wanted to see where I stand. Right. If it's my problem, yeah, yeah. I think I personally think it's not uh, because when I, I, I read all uh, uh, of Adolf Hitler's speeches uh, given out, uh, um, by the way, uh, uh, by the Haus der Kunst uh, in uh, Munich, Germany, um, Which he for had, uh, informing art, the uh, art uh, community about a national socialistic thinking so it's not an obscure uh, source uh, but it's something uh, of today officially yeah. and I read uh, all these speeches uh, and uh, Hitler really he talked about art the future he, absolutely did not like uh, people uh, 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 acting or reenacting uh, as old uh, Germanic people. Uh, right. Uh, the thing movement. Uh, so yeah. it had to be something modern. Uh, it had to be uh, visible that it's a modern kind of yeah. art. Yeah. But uh, as Hitler was a painter himself, uh, he is, and the socialist, uh, he wanted to help painters. And the problem is that everything is mixed up. Uh, he wanted to help painters. Uh, these exhibitions in uh, Haus der Kunst, they sold really well. So it was a socially seen uh, support for painters. Right. It was not that much about propaganda in every field as you like to think about nowadays right so it was common painting yeah because um, I, I know he was and then there were uh, th these people trying to get uh, a certain position in the structure right. uh, like uh, the reichsschamhaar maler uh, ziegler <laughs> yeah yeah because i know um <laughs> Uh, reading, for example, uh, Friedrich Spott's book, uh, Hitler and the Power of Aesthetics, mm. that that Hitler himself was uh, not very um, uh, into, you know, political painting, obviously being, you know. When there was national uh, socialistic art, then it was uh, German expressionism. Yeah, because that's another thing. You had you had painters like Nolde. Who saw? Who thought that this was the German way of expressing? Uh, Not only himself. Uh, uh, they who were high in the hierarchy of the party, they collected uh, expressionism. Yeah. Uh, they saw this as the um, spiritual uh, German uh, spirit uh, to express, not thinking about the form, right. but to tell uh, something in a different way, not to show the faces, but uh, to uh, set the color directly. Right. So <clears throat> Goebbels 
is uh, a strange phenomenon in the sense that um, you have people high up in the National Socialist Party yeah. defending basically uh, modern art w way up until the late 30s. It was uh, the way of uh, educated uh, thinking in Germany. So uh, you have uh, the term uh, Bildungsbürger in German. Cultivated uh, citizen or something like that. Uh, yeah, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a defined term for a certain uh, social structure. Uh, and uh, it came into the picture in the 18th century uh, on the building uh, the uh, German state mm. uh, that you had a very, very good education uh, system in Germany. Mm. And uh, people wanted to climb up of social uh, structure and establish themselves by educating themselves in the structure mm. and learning uh, about uh, most of all culture mm. so they learned Greek and Latin they were deeply uh, into uh, history and uh, art uh, the newly introduced art mm. And they were uh, really uh, the supporting structure here. So it did not come from above. So just to be clear, this concept, this attitude yeah. is deeply connected with the, uh, the rising of or the consolidation of the actual state. This it happened uh, during the same time. Right. So uh, the development of art from uh, science uh, to uh, fine arts. The, the, uh, the concept of fine art came into being uh, in the late 18th the, century. The uh, introducing of this uh, educational system, the building of uh, a German state, right. uh, it's about the same. And people like to think about Germany as a, as a country, but it's a state in the middle of Europe. I would like to see it as a central uh, European phenomenon between uh, France uh, and the wide east, uh, the slaves with Russia, Mother Russia. Yeah. So uh, Germany is only the part in between. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Europe. Yeah. This is Europe. Okay, so the Bildungsburger is someone but becomes a concept of what sort of like social climbing? Yeah, to establish uh, uh, the not really rich uh, families in a social structure, uh, not uh, the hard workers, but they who got themselves uh, the education yeah. and the uh, uh, gymnasium uh, abitur. Uh, the exam, so yeah. These yeah. exams, uh, with a uh, focus uh, on uh, antique uh, culture and uh, the German way of thinking and most of all music yeah. and art. So we're in the really big field here because 
uh, I remember reading about how before Germany at all was a state, it became a, a unifying concept that Germany or the German states were about uh, well, basically two things, if I understood it correctly, culture and philosophy. It uh, was mainly philosophy, the newly developed uh, German philosophy, mm. which got them uh, into this state of mind. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning stands Kant, Kant and Hegel. Mm -hmm. This is Bildungsbürger. So their philosophies, their aesthetical philosophies are the very basis of uh, the, the value system of fine art as such. And I don't think that uh, German people in these times thought about art. Uh, oh, becomes, they thought yeah. about music. Mm -hmm. European music history is German, more or less. Mm. From uh, Bach to Richard Strauss, it's mm. German. Mm. So um, the Germanic people are thinking in music when they go in this field, but mostly they are uh, not entrepreneurs, uh, but uh, they are constructing, they are uh, making machines, they are thinking about history, the importance of history, and uh, most, most of all, philosophy. Mm -hmm. So philosophy is defining, uh, was defining uh, German thinking, mm -hmm. not anymore. <laughs> so. But this becomes then uh, central to the idea of the Bildungsbürger, and why is that uh, important in this conversation to talk about? that the most important thing for a growing uh, national socialistic party and they are calling themselves for socialists mm -hmm. and they want to have a, a, a certain background supporting that to get uh, the uh, uh, bourgeoisie with them mm. So they uh, tried it with the uh, richer uh, uh, people, but they had to get the support uh, from the Bildungsburger. Mm. So uh, they wrote it uh, down and they said it uh, uh, in the public, we are marching for uh, our culture, we are marching for uh, Beethoven and Kant and... Uh, <laughs> really, yeah. We come then to a situation where culture is an extremely important part of their politics, national socialist uh, politics. And that is something that, that uh, really bothers me when I think about a lot of these uh, stories that we hear about uh, these institutions. Um, you know, at best, not teaching very much about figurative painting are all state institutions. And uh, I think a large part of the solution to the situation would be to cut state support for culture. Uh, and that, now we have to jump in this historical line a little bit. I see the, uh, back again, uh, the Bildungsburger as the biggest problem here. Mm. 
because uh, when you see the uh, philosophical uh, development uh, during the 18th and 19th century, uh, the established uh, religions uh, loosed. People were not believing anymore. Mm -hmm. And this Bildungsbürger does not uh, longer believe in this one God. And uh, he needs another religion. And this religion became Du Holde Kunst. Yeah, and the so they, art. they began to believe in art. Mm. So you can talk with a Bildungsberger about anything, but not about, you cannot criticize art in any way as a right. term, right. because it's the uh, center of his belief. When everything is falling down, then uh, he has uh, only his culture right. left. Right. So they, they are not uh, freely thinking. They are not freely acting. The richer people uh, uh, use art uh, for establishing themselves uh, socially. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so to hold the right contact, and to show to each other what they have, have spent the money on. Uh, and uh, the ones who would buy uh, independently, like this like poor uh, middle class, they cannot afford it and they are believing in the art system and in the state system. Right. They are them supporting the state. So to get, so, so to get these people uh, on their side, the National Socialists had an uh, historically extreme increase in the support for the arts. They were the supporters. Mm. They, the workers were only happy to have work. Mm. Uh, the uh, farmers, uh, they were happy to be worshipped in a way. Uh, but it, it was the Bildungsberger who made uh, the bureaucracy of the state and the state was the party. Mm. Mm. So, uh, a problem that is often discussed when it comes to, to uh, National Socialism is that they used art for propagandistic purposes. <laughs> yeah. And? And uh, then we're back to the whole situation of criticizing figurative painting for somehow being sort of inherently Nazi because it, it appeals to the audience. And, and so, uh, on the one side, when people are thinking that there is any uh, alt-right uh, in, in Germany, mm. uh, I would love to see the paintings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the propagandistic looks... paintings, right. what they're looking like when yeah. it's, it's a, such an efficient tool yeah. to propagate. Right. They should propagate uh, <laughs> by paintings. Mm. And... Uh, 
on the other side uh, isn't it more efficient today with uh, television so right. why uh, not uh, why should not television uh, be forbidden for for all time because there you can propagate <laughs> right so I think uh, when we're talking about um, uh, using this slogan for figurative painting, um, it's more or less clearly a ideological uh, weapon to silence it and, and make it suspicious so you can just uh, shove it aside. Figurative painting, I mean. Yeah, but, uh, but all, the, all the posters in the older times uh, more, uh, were more or less painted. So mm. this is why they used uh, the educated painters uh, to make uh, some uh, parts of the propaganda. Mm. Uh, but uh, I don't see any place for figurative painting in political uh, propaganda. You don't get normal people into a party by beautiful paintings. <laughs> no, but I don't that, see it. Yeah, yeah. But, so vote for this party because I made this painting. <laughs> what? Yeah, I mean, you have this absurd situation today where uh, even even private, uh, I mean, even private investors follow the exact same path as that laid out by the state when it comes to what kind of culture, what kind of art should be uh, uh, supported or bought into. And I remember, I remember even seeing in some art magazine. A, a uh, service, a report that proved that that um, uh, companies that collected modern art were more trustworthy than companies that collected, you know, yeah. figurative uh, older, yeah, yeah, yeah. older art. Yeah. In the Middle Ages, mm. when you wanted and you had to attend church, mm. when you wanted to go into the church you had to give some herrings to the poor people mm. in front of the church. <laughs> it's about that. Uh, so you, you, are, uh, you have to attend and you have to pay mm. in this way for a certain structure to come in. Mm. The, so the, this is art. Mm. Uh, but uh, you see, it's, it's not about uh, painting or sculpture in art. Art is about art. It's not even a message. It's uh, maybe a concept and a structure. So the structure, the art structure, or uh, as uh, Nadam uh, calls it, uh, the uh, art police, mm. is much more important the, than the small artist. Mm. providing uh, uh, elements for uh, the creators creating uh, the structure. And this is a structure of strong belief. Mm. You don't see it. You have to believe that it's there. And uh, I was in the middle of the 90s, for example, in Kassel. Uh, and there is a quite famous... Uh, uh, Biennale uh, in, in Kassel uh, and they uh, I saw that they carried uh, 
They have a museum in the center and they carried all the paintings out of the museum uh, for uh, giving space for the documentaries. So they mm. decided this place is holy enough. So now, now art can be there because this, uh, this place is holy. Mm. When you read the Bible, the Old Testament, uh, in uh, the Solomonic Temple, there were uh, for over 300 years uh, weapons and sculptures, maybe also paintings. So it was a beautifully uh, decorated space there. Mm. And when this place was holy enough, they had to carry everything out to have an empty room only for the spirit. Right. So, the, and mm. when they established uh, art, there was no art before that. So they had to take something which had a certain uh, importance for educated people uh, of aristocratic people, but it began in France and uh, they uh, made uh, aristocratic people more or less uh, equal by uh, taking hats from these people. Then they were equal. <laughs> the, the, Bec uh, equally dead, yeah. Yeah. Sans tête, sans net, the guardian. <laughs> Without head, you are equal. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, they, they could have taken anything mm. to make to install art because it's a concept but they tried to install museums that were not museums before that so uh, there were some collectors but this didn't matter it was not open for the public uh, so uh, they installed museums as holy places with some older artifacts and it could be anything mm. and then they are trying to uh, empty the space for the next level to the bodiless existence and this mm. is about art uh, the, this is uh, the clearest the clerical uh, uh, structure supporting the uh, pure uh, spirit mm. but so, so what happens is that when you get these museums, start getting museums in the late, uh, well, around early uh, in 19th century. Um, I think, I guess Louvre was one, maybe the, the first museum. Um, they take paintings that have a different function. They put it on the wall, strip it from the, the, the context, and it's just an object hanging on the wall. Yeah, it's already made. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and you have that uh, amazing illustration from from Larry Scheiner's book, *The Invention of Art*, where you see, with the concept of art in the late 18th century, there comes in this sort of soberness. You're not gripped by it, but you are contemplating it. So you see the same two people looking at a female sculpture, and the one they are looking like this, and they are you know, absolutely uh, taken in by the sculpture. And that is, is um, uh, what's, the, what's the concept, um, affected sentiment. And then they stand and look at the sculpture like this, and that's natural sentiment. So they, they get a distance 
to, I think also Walter Benjamin talks about this, art first begins two meters away from the body. So you have to have a distance to it. Yep. You look at it as an object. And my point is that this is, is reinforced, this whole philosophical foundation that you shall not create a living image because then it's not art. This is reinforced then by these institutions who are basically state structures to enforce these, these uh, values. I uh, have a, a very Catholic background. I grew up as deeply Christian. And I used to go to the church. And what you are describing here is how you behave in an European church mm. already as a child. You're folding your hands, you don't move, you don't understand, you have to believe. Right. So it's everything which religion was once. But I think now, again, the best art museum is like a developed church, empty. People are not attending church anymore in Europe. Mm. Uh, we uh, could talk about uh, the US. It's a little bit different there. Mm. But uh, the perfect church is empty and the perfect art museum too. Yeah. It's wonderful. Be when, when the spirit is so scary that nobody wants to see it, or it's the empty space. Well, well, that's what happens in the first mosaic books when they... Uh, Moses uh, brings his, um, uh, uh, he's not there alone, some of the others come with him, but they have to look down, they cannot look directly at God, because they will die. Uh, did Moses see him? I think so. But he was the chosen one. But uh, when, when uh, it's uh, Christian and Jewish uh, mythology uh, that... Uh, God uh, made man after his picture. Mm. So God looks a lot like me. Exactly. Uh, he, he, maybe he, he looks exactly like me. Well, he does. So when I look into a mirror, I see God. Is this so dangerous? Maybe it is so dangerous. This is maybe uh, the reason why uh, expressionistic... Uh, Paintings uh, uh, don't have uh, clear faces. Right. Uh, and uh, this is maybe the reason that only God uh, is allowed to have a face. And uh, a face may not appear in a depiction. Uh, and uh, even in the uh, Muslim uh, belief, uh, God has a body and a face. Mm. This, this is written down, and uh, Muslims believe this. And after all times, the, uh, God loses his body, and only the face of God is left. And uh, when, when you're thinking uh, about uh, yeah, monotheistic uh, religions uh, reacting to uh, depicted faces, 
and you saw it uh, now in these times of ISIS, uh, mm -hmm. um, the faces have to fall. Yeah, you could say they artified these sculptures. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, they got better in an arty way, so uh, they look more like art. Yeah, objects instead of uh, present living uh, figures. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that that's why where I I'm, uh, I'm I'm thinking about you know if you compare this well if you think across cultures across completely across time that you see that there are certain uh, periods that are very similar modernism and like ninth century Greek things are quite similar in, within sculpture what we know from sculpture very blocky. Uh, abstract patterns or abstract uh, shapes and the uh, human face is gone or it's not it's not uh, realistically rendered right and so uh, what I'm thinking about when it comes to the concept of fine art and speaking of museums as temples for art as was as they started to do in the 19th century venerating art praying to art praying to be saved by the grace of art. All this religious terminology was transferred to, to, uh, to art. You could say that uh, the ultimate art, I think, is because it is signified by this indifference, is when nobody makes art, nobody talks about art, nobody buys art or exhibits art or looks at art or anything like that. Then you have complete art that uh, the only the spirit exists mm -hmm. as you have it in, in, in the uh, Muslim tradition when when Aisha prepared the room for uh, Muhammad uh, and she, she bought a pillow with uh, sticking a, a picture on it uh, with uh, animals uh, uh -huh. beautiful made and she uh, waited that he's happy with this and he came in and be became very angry because uh, he said it clearly when there is a picture in the room that uh, the angels do not come to this room anymore so, so uh, when you hang a kitschy painting in, in into an art museum the spirit of art is gone completely it's not possible to show it so uh, art is trying to making this with painting but uh, on the other side try to have uh, the monopole uh, on uh, painting yeah. so every painting has to be art and the painting is forbidden yeah in this way yeah. so uh, you you mean uh, when uh, art dissolves uh, itself uh, completely into nothing then it's uh, perfect but the thing is you have uh, uh, the priest yes you have and that's right and that's that's why i'm saying that you should cut all funding state funding because of course the state this is a social problem yes this is a socialistic problem of course <laughs> 
because uh, I mean I, I want to hear your thoughts about this because I, I've been talking about about, uh -huh. about this um, that that I mean as a very first start you should just cut all support for for newly made art and and I think that's a, I, that's I, a fantastic. I, I had this thought too. So, <laughs> how come? <laughs> the, the, how are we supporting uh, the uh, uh, real art? Yeah, this mm. is often a question. It's mm. about real art, yeah. not the fake art, but the real art. Yeah, what, something we could believe in. Uh, sorry. Uh, when you want to have something, you can buy it. Uh, but uh, this uh, uh, structure paying itself uh, out of state money yeah. and uh, uh, protecting uh, the sexual parts with some artists. Oh no, don't attack me. You attack a little artist here. Yeah. But uh, in reality, there is the structure a deeply in connection with uh, uh, the state system in Europe, yeah. um, then it would be a very cheap and a very easy way to cut all the support. Yeah, yeah, because I can, then then you're talking about well, uh, if you're talking about cultural politics, I mean, there's tons of way, dozens of ways we can do, uh, directions we can go from there. But one thing is that well. You should cut funding because you need to save culture from art. And the other thing is that do you want culture or do you want politics? Because obviously, when the, the and, and this is the, the complete irony of the whole cultural thing. politics is politics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah of course, <laughs> of course. That's the whole. That's the whole point. Uh, um, so that's why it's so hypocritical when they are uh, uh, using this Nazi card at convenient uh, times and they don't talk about the clear i mean if you just if you take a blind test yeah. you see political parties what do they stand for M massive support for art grants for artists special uh, you know uh, special treatment for artists uh, a lot of money spent for all of these things all across the board and you see that these things... The museums, the curators, uh, the galleries, they yeah. get money, uh, especially here in Norway, not the artists. Yeah. And when you're outside uh, the system, and uh, you, uh, the better educated uh, the public is, uh, the more they uh, react to, uh, to uh, this kind of painting. Mm -hmm. I will not get anything from this structure. I do not get anything from this state-supported structure, and I have to mention it uh, once for all, painting is not necessarily art. Painting can live without art, and art can live without painting. Yep. So why does uh, art have monopoly uh, on uh, painting? When there is uh, uh, not that they want to uh, force uh, painting away from the globe, mm. so uh, I would really try to, uh, yeah, you should uh, talk to any politician and uh, asking for not supporting art, and yeah. I think you get the answer a wonderful thing, <laughs> it doesn't cost anything. <laughs>
You're asking for something yeah. which doesn't cost a tax money. Yeah. How great. But then you see the real problem. It's the social problem. It's not the social problem of the little artist. Yeah, what, but it's the social problem of the structure, yeah. completely depending on the state. Well, that's the... the you know, uh, you know we got, we're sort of coming into the meta-irony part here. Uh, uh, there's another book uh, by, by um, uh, what's his name, Adams, Art in the Third Reich. And he talks about how the artist massively flocked to the Reichskulturkammer, the, the, the yeah. state culture chamber that, that di started directing what was allowed, what was not allowed. And you had to be a member in order to exhibit and, and live as an artist. As today. Uh, <laughs> And they, they, uh, and he concludes this paragraph with, uh, I'm paraphrasing, talking about you know the absurdity of going along for such a concept, as if this is something completely different from today. I, I mean, I, the, the, yeah, you see me uh, applying uh, <laughs> uh, today with this kind of painting. Mm. No, sorry. It, it, I don't have any chance uh, to get into this structure yeah. and you have to be a member today too. Mm. So the structure is completely the same. Mm. Uh, the, the only step they took forward is uh, that it's not about uh, painting anymore, but it was never about painting. Mm. Yeah, what I experienced then talking to figurative painters for, I mean, not, not all of them, obviously, but I'll, what I experienced a lot is that exactly because, because they cannot get the advantages of being in the system. Of course, if you can, then there's no problem with the system. They are <laughs> but it's when, you're, when you get outside of the system, that's when you start seeing that, oh, this is, this is actually a problem because uh, um, you are not being uh, funded to go to exhibitions which allow you to meet the private uh, audience as well so you can sell further uh, more more mm. work or, or objects art objects um, and uh, when you look at i've been studying uh, norwegian cultural politics and from the very beginning all the reasoning has been anything but quality of what is produced no, it, that, that it, is. It's, it's the nation state. No. It's the you know, uh, getting the. Uh, no, it's about quality. It's about uh, uh, the art quality in it. Well, yes, that's a different discussion or the different uh, concept. It's, it's now not our understanding of painterly quality. No, because but well, it's, my, it's, my point is that when you look at it, it's been nation states or it's been uh, educating the proletariat or it's been uh, uh, for women's rights or uh, immigrants uh, integrating them into the culture. And uh, my point is quite neutrally, without taking a stance either way, mm. that this is politics. This is not about making good paintings or good architecture or good music or good, you know. It has to be relevant for the state. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that, that struck me when you just, when you mentioned this thing about educating the audience from the very beginning, from, from, from primary school, into this Bildungsbürger. We don't have the concept in Norway, but you have the same idea that art and culture is somehow important. In a important. way you have. Yeah, it's You're important. We need that. way uh, yeah. 
Germanified. Right, which is the <laughs> core concept of, of Hitler's cultural politics, that culture is necessary, even when the war was going on. Uh, needed, isn't it culture. beautiful? Uh, the, the, the culture uh, lives uh, when the people are, uh, are gone. <laughs> isn't it wonderful? German uh, culture rules and... <laughs> Well, that, you know, yet another irony. Uh, uh, I mean, that those same values that that uh, Adolf Hitler was, was talking about are to mirror the uh, the longings and the reality of its time. That was a key concept for him. So, and, no, and I, I, I really have to see. Uh, the 25th of November 2018, then I should... Art. Yes. <laughs> it's contemporary. Yeah. So, so uh, I think, I think, practically oh. speaking, if we should talk it's about culture milk. Oh, it's not art milk. Uh, it's culture milk. It's called culture milk. It's sour <laughs> milk. <laughs> Low fat. <laughs> um, so if you if you should really uh, get a new renaissance as they say you know we have to get new renaissance for figurative painting well the way you you achieve that is to completely cut down the possibility of the state to interfere and to control what is made and i think that that's also a, a strange way of thinking that you 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 look at the you know for one of the first sort of art movement that came under cultural politics in Norway was of course national romanticism which is ridiculed today for being sentimental and old-fashioned and uh, all these things. Uh, and, and they introduced uh, irony uh, and uh, the um, uh, everything which is not beautiful. Mm. It's uh, This is romanticism too and this is uh, what uh, art history wants uh, to remember romanticism for. Uh, so the uh, ugly uh, introduced into the system, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that comes uh, with the, uh, with the um, uh, we're talking about you know, uh, early 19th century here, and, and um, uh, it just strikes me that, that the contemporary artist of today is a national romantic in the sense that if you buy into that then you will at some point be well perhaps interesting as a document of your time but that's it you know that i love uh, uh könig ludwig uh, the second, Lu Louis II uh, of bavaria yeah. of bavaria the uh, kitsch king of all times and uh, we uh, were once visiting uh, Neuschwanstein and uh, I saw, you know, very seldom uh, impressed, but you were impressed not by uh, a single painting, uh, but you were impressed by the fact that, uh, and you said it, uh, I remember it, you said, he showed that it's possible to make any, anything you want in any time you're thrown in. Yeah. And this uh, made it so uh, uh, worth it for, 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 for us. Hmm. 
he did not invest in any castles in the bigger towns. And people right. thought he was crazy. Why in the mountains? And then the war came. Right. And the German towns fell. And everything was burnt down and what was standing was burnt down by the modernism building it up again. <laughs> <laughs> so everything's lost in, in the way of artifacts. Mm. Mm. And these castles are standing. Yeah. They didn't see the war. <laughs> I remember that I remember that trip very well. And I remember saying to you, I think the first thing I said before what you mentioned is that Ludwig, Louis the, the second must have been a highly intelligent human being. And you said, well, yes, because he had to know what he should choose, what he wanted. And I think there's a huge, uh, uh, what do you call it? There's a huge confusion today. Because even figurative painters are indoctrinated completely in the Hegelian idea that this is our time and it's completely separate from this time and the Greeks is just something completely else. That's not even a part of history. And uh, so that's why it was such a, an, an amazing experience to go to these castles that we went to because it proved beyond any shadow of doubt that it's all about the will to do it and not what the times dictate what well, you should it's, do. It's not only about that. Well, this uh, is the impetus. You, you saw this uh, 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 kitsch film, uh, uh, Try, uh, yeah. about uh, the uh, Trojan War with uh, the not that beautiful Brad Pitt, but it was <laughs> quite... I, I, I really feel... Uh, you're not attracted to him. No, it's, uh, what happened to him? It's it's so sad. Oh yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll go. I, I I began to like him. <laughs> this is what I wanted to say. Mm. And there was uh, uh, when you make an American movie in a Hollywood movie, you uh, have to participate uh, also uh, in the uh, uh, Oscar. Uh, uh, um, Concurrence competition. Uh, competition uh, with best original song, and uh, the made uh, best original song for this film, more or less, uh, with uh, a title "Remember Me." It's about yeah. look to the stars and bubble you. I'm up there and remember me. Isn't it all about that? Isn't it about remembrance? And th this you do not have in art. No. They don't want to have uh, in history. They have always problems with history. So they want to, uh, to show history as uh, this is the way we got here. And yeah, yeah. continue. Yeah. And uh, in Kitsch, it's all about uh, remembrance. And this is why. Uh, our kitsch king is his my eternal king um, until uh, another king appears and is paid. Uh, <laughs> we, we need an institution of an eternal uh, König Ludwig. Mm. 
this is what I'm dreaming about, but uh, I'm not in this hierarchy here. So, uh, but aristocracy is a wonderful uh, uh, structure. Uh, but uh, kitsch is all about re remembrance. And when you mm. are quoting Apelles that he's painting for eternity, mm. he certainly knows that uh, a painting will never last forever. But what he was thinking about is remembrance. There's some, someone remembering mm. this way of painting mm. and taking it and making the next copy for remembering and the next step so through it. times. Yes. And this is what King Ludwig made. He made the perfect idea of a perfect Gothic building and he was highly educated on this. He was an, a specialist in, in architecture. Mm. And he took this remembrance further when all the old castles were fallen down. So that is mm. the next castle to take the storm. Yes. I think there's, there's a amazingly funny scene in Moby Dick, a book that I read because you recommended it. Um, uh, he talks about <laughs> <laughs> he talks about being up in the mast yeah. looking for whales and he talks about these young men, some of them Plato worshippers, <laughs> who do not see the waves and the whale but just see the eternal rolling of being as they stand there and they romanticize this thing until they fall and <laughs> their faces hit the water and they never come up again. That's reality, right? <laughs> so I think this is what we're talking about uh, in this uh, context, that the philosophical foundations that we are bearing like these huge rocks on our backs, weighing us down so that, uh, uh, as I talked with, uh, with uh, Sebastian Salva about, uh, you have figurative painters in art schools. Oh no, I'm being too sentimental. I'll make a white stripe over it. Uh, that it, that it is, is the exact common way of doing it. I that's saw, artification. Saw it so often. Artification, and th <laughs> this this is uh, the common way of doing it. And I think you need to take away all of that uh, 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 philosophical heritage that makes you make people uh, uh, perform or do much worse work than they would have if they didn't, you know, weren't weighed down, weighed down by this. And what Louis II does is that he shows you that you can decide to, to think differently. I mean, today... He made his thing. Yes, but I mean, they're talking about today that, you, well, you couldn't do this in our time. I remember my, my favorite quote on this is, is Danto, Arthur Danto, the, the art theorist who died some years ago. Yeah. And he gets a letter from a painter who says, I paint like, try to paint like Rembrandt, why am I so criticized? And he says, oh, no, you can do that. You just don't, you have to do it with irony because we live yeah. in our times. And, and um, I think it is presented as if, you know, it is physically impossible for me to balance the moon on my finger. It will never, ever happen. This is impossible. This is in the strictest sense of the word impossible. But to paint a Titian is, of course, extremely difficult. But as long as you have canvas, you have brush, 
brushes, you have paint, it is accessible for you to do so. And I think just to open up the mind to that possibility. But, but <laughs> now I'm asking, why painting a Titian? You know, <laughs> because unoriginality is the most highest level you can achieve. This is what you're talking why? about too. Because to paint an exact copy, as I've mentioned in, in several uh, cases, an exact copy of Rembrandt's prodigal son, so that you cannot, literally cannot tell the difference, would require skills on such a massive scale that it's but never been seen before in history. Why do you need this now I'm uh, talking like an artist? Yeah? <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> why do you need this when you have the titian? Well, the titian is 500 years old, so if you should shoot this into the future, as you're talking about, yeah. It must be recreated. I and think, maybe I, there is a war in this big town uh, and uh, you don't have the painting anymore. But you want to remember. And it's maybe not only about painting, but uh, about uh, remembering people. Mm. When you take photographs uh, or uh, taking videos, is it so certain that these... Uh, um, electronic materials will survive a difficult situation. You uh, don't only have to shut down uh, the uh, power uh, plant mm. and everything's gone. Yeah, You don't have to make so much for uh, killing the uh, remembrance of uh, millions or billions of uh, uh, people. So you have to have something in reality. Mm. One could describe a man, a woman, but it's not the same like having a man and a woman. And when you lose one generation, you lose all the way up and the way after. And this is tradition. You have to do uh, it in your time again so that it can live. There is no minute uh, to be lost. There is no generation to be lost. You can exchange but you cannot reconstruct it when it's gone. Mm. And this is why it's so important to make immaterial, uh, in, uh, um, in, in paint, paintings, carrying a picture of us, God, like remembering the individual and the principle. And this is so important when we got to uh, this a certain level uh, in depicting uh, their appearance and not only uh, 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 describing appearance, but the most important that uh, your personality, and this is what Kitsch is about. Mm. And even when I paint landscape, this mm. landscape has a personality and the people living there have personality too. Mm. And they have history. And I want to grab it. I want to hold it for a little more time for the next to come. And then art comes in and destroys everything and is cutting off generation after generation. Sorry. I don't like art. 
that was a really grand moment for me when we, Erde uh, Spildonerdrum and myself, were interviewing you in uh, Vienna for the documentary uh, on Odnerdrum. And you were talking about that. We have to recreate it all because, well, a war may, <laughs> may come yeah. and we will be forgotten and we have to send this sort of shuttle into the future yeah. with, with this knowledge. Um, and it struck me as, um, uh, my understanding at least, is that perhaps too many figurative painters paint like this just because that's you know what they see as tradition. They don't have a, have a, a clear concept of the importance of doing it. And when you said the things that you said there, um, it made it not just about well painting like it sh painting should be, you know, like a sort of a protest against contemporary art or whatever, but it becomes uh, uh, something much much greater than that. And I'm thinking of what I uh, heard about when it came to came to uh, the so-called Greek Dark Ages, that when this culture went down. And they're talking about the invasion of the sea peoples and there are different things going on there uh, as a vast field. But anyway, anyways, the result of it, as far as I've understood, is that you go from representing the figure into geometric patterns. When culture disintegrates, it goes away from, from keeping the image of the human figure and becomes pure uh, patterns. You think that... That what, what you're talking about is keeping, I mean, from a moral perspective, keeping, keeping the respect for the individual or the, or the human being? Why not? We are human beings and we should take care of this existence. When you love someone, you want to live, uh, uh, that he, he or she lives in eternity in a way. So you have to hold it, and it's not possible to hold it with, with any digital camera or a print which lasts maybe 100 years. It's about love, it's about dying, all this pathos. Yeah, it has to be pathetic and kitschy. Uh, when when this, uh, I took my grades uh, uh, in the academy, uh, all these wonderful artists with uh, the, uh, the uh, dreadlocks uh, colored in, in green and uh, violet, uh, they, were, they felt that they were the greatest. They were uh, aggressive, they destroyed, uh, they were proud of it. And then in this situation, when they got the diplomas, their families came in. <laughs> Papa, mama, grandparents, maybe an uncle, some children. And they were standing small, ashamed that they were artists. But it was only the moment, this moment, then this moment is gone and they can be artists again. Yeah? I was not ashamed. And I don't want to be ashamed that I have a family uh, uh, which I love and that, that I have ancestors. 
And this is kitsch. This is what kitsch is about. It's completely opposite to any way of art thinking. I want to remember in love for all eternity. Yeah. That's a nice way to round off the conversation. Thank you for coming to the Cave of Palace. Thank you.